free dropped here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. It made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. All right, folks, happy Sunday evening. Dylan DeChair here coming to you from Seattle, Washington, where I've just returned home after kind of an odyssey. Sean Zock joins me from the low country. Sean, it's nice to be here. How are you? Well, gosh, I, I would say it's great to be here in South Carolina uh, where I am, except I've kind of been cooped up in an Airbnb all week. Uh, you know, our faithful listeners will know. That we signed off from what, like one in the morning, uh, Monday morning after the Masters, and we said we're going to Hilton Head. We're going to go find out the scoop at the next elevated event, the RBC Heritage. We drove, uh, gosh, we we drove on Monday, and Tuesday morning I woke up kind of not feeling great, and then Tuesday afternoon I found out, hey Sean. Uh, should probably go get tested for COVID. And turns out I was positive. So I've been isolating by myself like two miles away from <laughs> from uh, Harbor Town all week long. Um, and so I didn't get to see a single golf shot in person. Um, but I have a feel for what Hilton Head Island is. And I think I want to move here. Wow. Oh, full endorsement. All right. That's great. Um, thank you for not giving me COVID. I, uh, guess I had it somewhat recently, so maybe that helped, but I had a bachelor party to attend this weekend, which would have been really sort of inhibited by my having COVID. So anyway, good job staying far enough away. Yeah, you got it, bud. Uh, this is a pretty cool, um, stop, I think on the PGA tour. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be an elevated event forever. Uh, we're going to get to the winners and losers. Uh, but my real only thought on top of it all is I I think it can be a designated elevated event without um, needing full buy-in from everybody. I think, it, I think it's a course that plays tricks on these guys in certain ways. It, it certainly tests their ability to lay up when they have to lay up. And to hit certain long irons into some of these holes and really funnel three woods and drivers through these trees. Um, so I think it's a fair test. I don't mind having it being a $20 million elevated event every single year. And I think the reason why that might still be the case in the future when not everyone needs to go to every single elevated event is just that I think guys really like it down here. Like Tony Finau was staying down the beach from me. Uh, and staying, I think, I think uh, just up the beach from Tommy Fleetwood and Shane Lowry, and it's just like gorgeous. And like after his round on Sunday, Tony Fina was just sitting there on the beach watching the waves come in, just kind of taking it all in. And nice. I know, uh, did you see him on the I way think, by? I think. Well, I saw him on Friday when I went for a walk. Him and his wife Lena were getting some content in on the beach, um, but. Uh, but, I, but I also just saw Tony posting about it on, on Instagram Sunday night. And I just think that, um, when you're trying to, to figure out where these elevated events are going to be, of course, their placement around the majors is maybe the first and foremost decision. Um, 
but you also want to go to places that play, players want to go to. The best players are going to want to go to, and that is both location and golf course. And I think this this place kind of checks both of those boxes. It's in a tough spot, though, because it's right behind the Masters. Yes, and I think that that is one question going forward that I'm not sure I'm going to like the answer to is having these designated events on either the front or back end of major championships. Um, but I guess the fact that they're non-mandatory will help me cope with that. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Don't like, didn't you like being able to drive down the road to another tour event and see a bunch of the biggest names in the world on Tuesday afternoon? Like, wasn't that a good experience for you? It was definitely a good experience and the, the proximity is huge. I think in my perfect world, and I've gotten used to sort of just being able to ask for specific things now in our podcast because, you know, they're all just changing. You just say, oh, yeah, I want a pony. I want $20 million purses. I want designated events, etc. In my perfect world, the majors sit on their own and there's no event the week before or after. No significant event the week before or after. The majors are the majors. I don't like the I don't like the sense of anticlimax that comes with playing a week after the major. But you know, by the time we got to Sunday, it was all good. I was invested. Uh, I was flying back, and again, the new age of streaming on planes is a godsend. And I had a really lovely time flying from Charleston direct to Seattle. Shout out Alaska Airlines and uh, streaming. Fitz versus Spieth versus Cantlay versus Sung J M, etc. So ended up a great tournament. I think it's interesting the the way the course looks and feels and plays different from a lot of the other big time designated events. I mean, we're we're going to Wells Fargo in a couple weeks, going to Quail Hollow. That'll be the next one. And that is a big beefy bombers golf course, right? This one not so much. But by the end of the weekend, we saw a bunch of the big time players anyway, not necessarily the longest hitters, but, um, you know, it was the usual suspects contending. It still feels like it separated the, the wheat from the chaff, Sean. (laughs) The future of the PGA tour is going to be designated schedules. Like you're going to have a player like, um, Tommy Fleetwood, for example, European, he's an Englishman. He's going to play in the Middle East in the beginning of his season, and he's going to come back to the PGA Tour, and then he's going to, at the end of his season, probably go back and play in Europe. And so he's going to play a designated schedule. He's And I think why this course should be on the designated schedule is what you just said. It is different. It is different than Riviera. You know, Patrick Cantlay um, – talked to us in the press conference on Tuesday kind of comparing this course to Riviera uh, places where it's both fair and less fair than Riviera and like if you just look at the lineup of tour courses the ones that don't get designated are the ones that are just going to be the kind of cookie cutter PGA tour courses you're like when you we went to Century um, in Hawaii. That is a fun course to watch golf on. We go to Phoenix. That's kind of a cookie cutter course. Even if it's fun with all the hoopla, it's not going to be designated next year. It's a bit of a cookie cutter course where you can kind of rip it up and make a bunch of birdies and you know hit your fairways. It's TPC Scottsdale. But then we go Riviera. Then we go uh, 
player or Bay Hill players. Bay Hill and players, two different Florida cities, two different, very different Florida golf courses. Then we go Masters. Then we go RBC Heritage. We've hit so many different types of golf courses, such different looks across the board. We haven't even left America yet. Um, so I don't know. I am an endorsement of it. Um, you know, if Jimmy Walker wins, that maybe changes everything for everybody. So anyways, he doesn't win. Let's talk about Fitz. Matthew Fitzpatrick is back i guess he won the u.s open last year which was his first pga tour win uh, this was his second pga tour win we kind of lost track of him maybe a little bit did you lose track of him yeah i would say so i mean he's been playing well now the last few weeks um i talked to him actually earlier this week for a q a for our next magazine um so i'd like to think i had a little hand in his good play this week um, but no, he was out, Sean. He was not feeling good. He was not feeling like himself. He was missing cuts. He had this neb- nebulous neck injury that he couldn't seem to quite solve. And maybe he pushed too hard. Maybe he, you know, didn't take enough time off, but it kind of seemed like once he solved that, now here he is again. Uh, I think he's moving up to number, maybe number eight eight in the world after being number 16 going into this week he just finished 10th at the masters and now a big victory at his favorite course it's funny i was reading through some of his quotes and listening to his stuff and uh you know it's not exactly like the it's not exactly like the feel good rags to riches story you might get in some other sports but the fact that matt fitzpatrick and his family used to come on vacation to hilton head and play golf here and go to the tournament made this a special spot for him and for his family. He's always had this tournament circled as a result. He's got the head cover with the, the uh, lighthouse on his driver. Other than the majors, this is the one he wanted the most. I think that there's something pretty cool and significant about that. It's his, it's his equivalent of Max Homa at the Genesis, I guess, which is funny because it's Hilton head and he's English and, yeah, and he's English. He's from <laughs> Sheffield. I think um, what I think was good about uh, that storyline that played out on golf websites all over the world this weekend is that it is genuine. This is not us grasping for straws. Like you said, he has the Hilton Head head cover. Um, when he hit the shot, he almost holed out in the playoff to end it for Eagle. Uh, he, really, uh, he realized it was a good shot because – up at the green, his mom and his girlfriend were like freaking out. And I'm just imagining what his mom is thinking, you know, 15 years after probably watching other pros hit that shot with her son at her side. Like that, that was playing out for her in real life with him hitting the shots. Uh, there's a, a, sh- a photo that Evan Priest took um, after the playoff had ended, after Matt had been. Uh, whisked off to media after I believe after trophy ceremony there's just a photo of uh, Matt Fitzpatrick's father and his caddy Billy Foster and they're just kind of like hands on their hips looking out at the 18th hole just kind of like gosh can you believe that he really did that did this and it just again if you put thoughts in his father's head or you try to imagine what his father is thinking 
it's like holy cow like <laughs> 15 years ago i was vacationing down here with my sons trying to probably play a little golf trying to enjoy the area and now holy cow i'm back and my son is winning you know three plus million dollars at this golf tournament um the connection is very real and i'm glad that it was shared and and not like overblown but like perfectly captured this weekend here's Um, the crazy thing though is this is a stronger tournament than it's ever been than than any tournament he would have watched there. It's funny. He was telling the story after the round of um, of talking to his dad or of, of whether he had memories of really watching the tournament in the past. And he said, well, he would always ask his dad, oh, is Tiger here? Is Tiger going to be playing? And his dad would say, no, Tiger's not playing. And yes, Tiger was also not playing this week. But just about everyone else was, with at least one notable exception that we will uh, touch on later. You know who I would watch play this golf course? Tiger Woods. Sure. Tiger riding around in, riding around in a golf cart, just working six irons into these tricky little pins. I would watch the hell out of that. Um, Dylan, I have one kind of time-traveling question for you. I want you to go back about 18 months. <clears throat> you and I are standing in the fairway, one of the two fairways at Whistling Straits, and... The final match of the 2021 Ryder Cup is is coming up the fairway, and it's Matt Fitzpatrick versus Daniel Berger. The The Ryder Cup has been claimed for well over an hour by now, um, maybe maybe two hours. And this is the final one. And if, if Fitz makes par on 18, um, I believe if he makes par, then the European team avoids having the worst defeat in the history of the Ryder Cup, the modern history of the Ryder Cup. And so Padraig Harrington's like reputation as a Ryder Cup captain is kind of hanging on Matt Fitzpatrick's ability to just make par against Daniel Berger. And he completely, completely lays the sod over it in that fairway. And I remember standing next to you being like, oh, God, <laughs> having this kind of guttural reaction because uh, it was the most anti-clutch golf shot I have, full swing golf shot that I've seen in a very long time, especially in person. And I want you to compare what that guy looked like um, in that moment compared to the fits that we see now, the major champion winning, uh, you know, designated event winning kind of newly wildly confident version of Fitz. It's funny because I just had a moment with him, like, you know, had a a sit down conversation and I wish that I had actually brought up this exact moment in time because not so much because of what happened there, but because of what happened directly afterwards, because he did not look good at that Ryder cup. He was notably, uncomfortable in that moment at least that's what it looked like to us watching hit a a dreadful golf shot lost the match but then his very next start I believe was the uh Andalucia Masters and he won and then he played well he finished second at the DP World Tour Championship at the end of that year this is 2021 and then he comes out he racks up a bunch of top 10s top 12 finishes on the PGA Tour to start the year you know at Phoenix at Pebble at Bay Hill at the Valspar he fin- you know he plays well plays well plays well wins the US Open so 
that that was really the low moment is where we saw him. And I'm curious if he would say that lit a fire under him, that gave him some realization of mindset that he was going to have to tweak. Because the guy that we saw coming down the stretch today was really good. I mean, he birdied 15, yeah. <laughs> he birdied 16, he took it dead at the pin on 17, that par three, took on a bunch of risk, pulled off the shot, just missed the putt. But, and then the shot that he hit, I mean, he truly almost holed out in the playoff. Yes, he could have lost in the playoff if Jordan Spieth had uh, found the cup with either of his first two birdie putts. And the first one especially looked like it was probably definitely going to go in. But, didn't go in, and then Matt Fitzpatrick, third time around, was a, a couple full rotations of the golf ball from making an eagle two on that 18th hole. So this was a very different guy, but in my mind, he became a very different guy actually very quickly after that Ryder Cup. Yeah, well, and what he did today is all context or is all contextualized by who he did it against. He did it in the final group against. Patrick Cantley and defending champion Jordan Spieth. Spieth, who's playing well, like Fitz stared down Spieth and gave the lead up to Spieth and then took it back uh, or didn't didn't outright take it back, but basically asserted himself back to the top of the leaderboard. It's it's just one thing like to do that against I don't know whoever he was playing at the Andalusia Masters. It's just completely different to do it against a charging charging Jordan Spieth when the the fans on site are cheering for Spieth. The entire tournament is kind of leaning in his direction. They're chanting USA, USA, like that. That is all context for what he accomplished today. And so, if you are, you know, if you're a Fitz person or if you are a European Ryder Cup fan, like this is the this is the win that really kind of says okay we're coming this year like this is not going to be a team that just you know kneels down in rome it's rory it's rom who's the best golfer on the planet it's fitz it's hatton it's fleetwood who's playing really well like that's what this win kind of starts to make me think about yeah that's what you need and i guess that's the only yeah, you know, the USA chants seem kind of silly to me, but I guess maybe that's the the positive is that maybe they start to light a fire under some of these European guys, in this case Fitzpatrick. He said he felt like he had plenty of support, but he said he also felt like he was keenly aware that people were very pro speed. Um and yes, Sean, Minwoo Lee and Sebastian Soderberg were T two in that Andalusia Masters. Robert Rock was one shot further back of those guys so yes this was probably a stronger contingent um did jordan spieth lose this or did fitzpatrick win it fitz won it he made birdie uh spieth didn't i don't think spieth missed any uh shots down the stretch that he really should have made um it's Yes. Like, no. This Spieth is the correct really... answer. You don't have to. You don't have to back <laughs> off of this. Just because he hit two good putts, or he hit at least. You know, the first one was really a good putt. I mean, yeah, he has nothing to be ashamed of in my mind. This is this is a positive for Speed, right? Yeah, completely positive. Um, the weird thing is that he began the week 
if we can dial back to Sunday at the Masters complaining, right? He complained about how tired he was. He is making mental mistakes and finishing T4 at Augusta National. And uh, it just kind of felt like Jordan was spent. And uh, he his, he did not look spent this week. I know he's tired and he's going to take at least two weeks off. Uh, he's going to play a couple events before the PGA Championship. But if, if the PGA Championship was next week, I would... I would be betting on him to win. Um, he feels really dialed right now. He feels as as back as, um, honestly, as we've kind of seen uh, in recent years. He made five bogeys this week, zero doubles, right? The Jordan Spieth inexplicable double bogey that yes. turns a 66 into a 68. That didn't happen this week. It well, that's what been... stood out about today, right? He was just steady, steady, steady. I mean, he made that... He made one bogey on the back nine when he was, you know, hitting. He was chipping from a really tricky spot where everyone kept chipping it into the water. Patrick Cantlay chipped it into the dock. Um, But besides that, clean card, six birdies, one bogey, 66 in pretty windy conditions. So, yeah, pretty impressive. He moves back up to number nine in the world. Well, you're really dialed on these world rankings, man. Yeah, I'm dialed, but in this case, it's interesting to me because he is now five spots ahead of JT in the world ranking. Mm, don't like that. Don't like that for Justin specifically. I want you to slot Jordan in if um, for the PGA Championship. That will be his chance. I don't know how many tries he's had at it, uh, maybe four now, to win the career Grand Slam. He's won the Masters, he's won the U.S. Open, he's won the British Open, and this will be uh, another chance to win the PGA Championship. Who, or what, like, if you are doing power rankings for someone for the PGA Championship, what number is he uh, on the power ranking scale? Like, you have Rom, you have Rory, you have Scheffler, who who else is 4-5, whatever? Yeah, so there's Rom and Scotty. Those are those are one and two right now. Then there's Rory at three. There is uh, Xander, who is probably going to win the rest of the majors this year, and Patrick Cantlay, who we will also discuss. Are you putting Cantlay above Spieth? I want you to slot him in. Pick a spot. I that I think I'm slotting Spieth in at number. I think he's in there at number six. And I think he's right there with Cameron Young. Wait, is six behind Cantlay? Yeah. Oh my gosh. What's what's wrong with that? He's he's not as good at golf as Patrick Cantlay is at the moment, but he's very good at I think he golf is tournaments. Yeah, I think he's right on his heels, but I I think that yeah, he just doesn't quite have the same level of consistency. I guess play is um, slightly quicker over the ball itself, although he talks a lot more. Where would you have him? Higher? Yeah. Through 72 holes, who I am expecting to be highest on the leaderboard, I'll give you I'll give you the top three that you selected, but I put him at T4 right next to Xander. Definitely higher than Cantley. I mean, this is it is a bit of a mind-bender. All right, definitely higher than Cantley. It's kind of a mind bender because you have this group of guys. I mean, they have the defending champ, Justin Thomas. Would it be shocking if he's in that contingent? No. 
Uh, you've got Tony Finau. You've got Cameron Young. Will Z, unfortunately, not involved. But now Fitz. And then, you know, we've forgotten quickly about Max Homo. We've moved on from him. But, you know, he was playing elite golf for, for quite a while. I want dudes who are going to finish at a major championship. I want dudes who are going to add a, a big yellow spot on their Wikipedia top 10 major championship finishes spot. Spieth is a finisher, man. Whatever he did at the Masters on Sunday, just being like, no, actually, I can go out and, and contend in this thing. I can go and make people think. I can go and make a charge. Spieth does that a lot more than I think he gets credit for. He's been doing it lately. So I'm in on Spieth. The thing is, he, it, it actually really it feels like he did close this tournament out today, right? Like, he even said it about his putt in that playoff. Eight out of ten times he hits that same putt, it goes in. I don't know if that's true or not, but at least in his mind, he like... <laughs> Why didn't it go in then? I don't know. You know, he got a bad bounce or something. But in his mind, he closed out this tournament. In his mind, he basically won it. He didn't technically win it, but he like did everything that he needed to do to win it. What do we make of Patrick Cantlay? Drop zone guest. <laughs> I was asked. I want. I wanted to know what we could add to the discourse because it is certainly getting out of hand. Uh, anytime yeah. my brother is sending me memes uh, and gifts and tweets about Patrick Cantlay, that's not a good sign. I don't know if my brother's ever done that about any other golfer, but he's in on the Patrick Cantlay slow play discourse. That's not a good sign. My cousin Kevin texted me for the first time and you know a, a while uh he wanted he wanted to get some Cantley takes off yeah what are you gonna say Sean what can you add to the discourse because I think I've got a couple things I've got a little context I'd like to add yeah um I'll let you get to that my real take is that when certain players are not outwardly pushing their personality pushing aspects of who they think they are when they would rather let their golf speak for them, they would, they're they no, not really big fans of the pip or, or kind of chasing um, a little bit of, I don't know, the fame that comes with pro golf, then we are left to judge them completely on what they do on the golf course. Patrick Cantlay is one of those people. And what he has done on the golf course recently has pissed a lot of people off. Now, I think it is extremely easy to cherry pick slow play. It is extremely easy to see one or two clips and decide that this guy is slow at all times and in all places. I have not watched him enough to have a true opinion on whether he's fast or slow. But damn, it sure sounds like a lot of people have done the research for me. And so this is a part of his persona moving forward. It's gotten to the point where he needs to do something about it to work his way out of it. Not just like playing fast, but like speaking out about it. And I gave him the floor on Tuesday and I said, hey, Brooks Kepka kind of pointed to your group at the Masters on Sunday and said that it was pretty slow, uh, brutally slow. What was your experience? And he's like, yeah, I was waiting too. I think it was slow for everyone. I'm like, all right, dog. If that's the stance we're going to take, if we're not going to take any responsibility or anything for this thing that everyone is shouting about you with, then you're going to have to do a little bit more to kind of get us to stop shouting about it. Uh, I'm not shouting about it <laughs> till now. So, yeah, it's on him now. It's gotten to that point. It's a classic bad visual. That's what I think. 
I think that he is, yeah, he's probably on the slower side, but it it's literally the fact that his slowness is when he is standing over the ball. So, look, people at home have no idea how quickly players walk to their ball. They have no idea really how quickly they go through certain processes of, you know, checking their yardage book. This is not a slight. I just mean like when you're watching on TV, you just can't see any of this stuff. But with Cantlay, as a TV producer, once he's addressing the ball, you kind of have to cut to him, right? But then he might be over the ball for another 30 seconds. And so you really get the full impression of like, man, when's this guy going to pull the trigger? So if you compare him to someone that just spends a really, really, really long time reading a putt, maybe he's not notably slower, but the visual of that is not good. And I think you're totally correct. Do you think you're being too kind? I don't think that's kind. I think that it's, I I don't, I think that I'm not saying that he is, I just don't think that we know that he's actively like taking longer to play golf holes. Like at the masters, for instance, his group was not out of position, but watching him play and watching him do stuff, people get really irritated. And I think Spieth, I think playing with anyone that stands over the ball for a long time and kind of waggles and gets in position, I think it's the same effect as watching it on TV, which is like you are used to a certain rhythm. He plays in a different rhythm, and I think people find that annoying as hell. And I understand that. I think that that's almost a separate discussion, though, from, okay, play on the PGA Tour is too slow. Like The PGA Tour does not do anything to try to speed play up. So why would Patrick Cantley adjust? He would adjust because he's getting crap for this from people on social media, from his fellow players are getting frustrated about it, something like that. Just like it would be like purely reputational, but there's no incentive from the outside to speed things up because he's probably not meaningfully changing the pace of play in his group or the groups around him. He's probably waiting anyway. And uh, so, yeah, there's not really any incentive unless he just wants to be uh, perceived better, which is that is a large incentive, but it's probably a lesser incentive for Cantley than for other people who would be more attuned to what people are saying about them. Sorry, that was a lot. Okay, sure. I, yeah, I just I think more than in any other instance in, in my uh, career, this one ha- feels like it is, uh, I don't know if jump the shark is the right phrase, but it has gone past what is normal for attention to a single pair- player's pace. It just really has. J.B. Holmes had kind of stink on him for a while, especially when he was contending at Portrush and Brooks Kepka was reacting to him. But Patrick Cantlay is the number four player in the world ranking. Like he is going to continue to be. He's in contention a lot now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so like the broadcasters were talking about it. Like there was a discussion mm-hmm. and I, I just think that the, if Trevor Immelman is mentioning it and if Dottie Pepper is kind of, you know, slightly mentioning it and, Yes, it's on the broadcast. That's a that's a it's a high threshold to get on that broadcast for doing something unpopular, I would say. Yeah. I think that that makes it hugely significant. Perfect scenario. He gets paired up with Brooks Kepka at the PGA 
and we move a little bit closer towards like self-reflection on Patrick's behalf. Yeah, no, you're right. Here's the next question, Sean, I think, right? Because I, I agree. I think you gave him the floor to kind of address this. He spoke to Kira Dixon about it too, right afterwards, uh, gave a similar answer. But I guess the question is, why do you stand over the ball for so long? What's going on there? And I mean, that's a personal question because that is where there is some, you know, it, it it's not a, it's not a clear mind when you're standing over the ball for that long, but I wonder why he does. I don't know. Well, your boys with him, you might have to ask him. Well, you know, drop zone guest, Patrick Cantley. We'll have to have him back on for just one question pod. Yeah. I think the good thing about him, I actually really think he would answer that question. Well, um, he, he, what was so weird is that he gave the answer to me it was almost exactly word for word the answer he gave to Kira. When I saw the answer he gave to Kira quoted, I was like, wait, was it Kira's answer quoted or was mine misquoted? Like they were that similar. And <clears throat> um, so I was disappointed in that response. But the response he gave about the fairness of the golf course to me later on shows like the, he has a decent amount of depth. Uh, he can He can really dive in. So much depth. When he decides to answer things, he he's better than just about anyone. Yeah, and so I actually think that question, simply put, why do you take so long over the golf ball? What are you thinking about? Why why does it take you so long to pull the club back? Like, he would probably say, like, look, I'm actually not that much slower than other people, but I would imagine if he gave us a 60-second que- uh, response, it would actually be pretty insightful. So we may have to put that to him. Uh, in a different time in a different place yeah i think that's right how about rory sean that at risk of i i'm hesitant to like speculate until we hear from rory but we may not hear from rory for a couple weeks and obviously plenty of other people are not hesitant to speculate so what do we make of rory mcelroy not showing up for the rbc yeah so let, i mean it this is kind of one of the weird nuances of the new the 2023 tour schedule is that the designated events, how many of them are there? 17 this year. Um, The whole deal that Rory put forth with tiger last year uh, at the Delaware meeting was like, guys, we got to play all these events. 20, 21 of you that are here with me, we need to play these events. We're the biggest names in the game. We are the people that sponsors put up sponsorship money for. We are the people that people get butts in seats and buy tickets for. So we need to play these tournaments. Now, the initial announcement in August, this was the last week I was in uh, I was in St. Andrews. That's why I remember it. But it was in August last year when the announcement comes out and it sounds like these events are mandatory. Rory, Rom, Scheffler, Speed, Thomas, you have to play all 17 of these events. The response to that from the top players in the world was not very good. And so Rory had the adjustment that was like, all right, guys, you can miss one. Uh, you can you can voluntarily not show up for one of the designated tournaments, and it's not going to cost you anything, which is fine. I think that was appreciated by a lot of guys. But what was weird is that Rory skipped the first one. Now, now we know he likes to kind of start his season across uh, the Atlantic Ocean, 
right? plays in Dubai, and he just wanted to be at home and kind of spend Christmas in Florida uh, with his family. He literally told me that during the Phoenix Open, like during the first round. And so the other thing he said when he came over and talked to me and Claire on the side of the 16th tee was just like, I wanted to almost kind of prove to these guys, like, hey, guys, you can skip a tournament. Like, I told you, like, it's all good. Like, one is out the door. But that only became an issue this week when he skipped a second one. Now, we all know Rory missed the cut at the Masters, and I can't imagine uh, anyone in the field was more frustrated than him, uh, maybe barring Justin Thomas. But either way, Rory missed the cut and is pissed, I can only assume, is not happy. I think you were tracking him that day i don't remember if you, if you really caught him or saw anything from him the weather delay kind of ruined things but point is rory's not happy he we can only at this point assume that that's why he skipped this week's tournament uh hopefully i don't know if i want to hope anything maybe that's the best case scenario you know he could be hurt he could have you could have any number of things enter his life that made him decide to back away but the truth is, he missed the tournament, which means 25% of his PIP earnings, his PIP earnings being $12 million, 25% of that being $3 million, will not be paid out to him. So he lost that 25%, which was the kind of carrot dangled to all these pros if you show up to the minimum number of designated events, which he has now missed. So is that a big deal? The long answer, the long term, the uh, longer outlook answer is hell no, it's not. Because in 2024, there is no mandatory minimum of these tournaments. It will be so in your interest and in your favor to play these tournaments, the designated events, that I don't anticipate many big players missing them. But since that is what the schedule will be like next year, it's kind of not a big deal that Rory missed out on one this year. However, <laughs> no one's optics matter more than Rory McIlroy's right now. I would say maybe that's false. Maybe Tiger's optics matter more and maybe like Phil Mickelson's matter more. But besides that, Rory's optics matter more than anybody because he has flown the flag. He has died on the hill in so many ways. He has like been the one who has made all these changes. He has said, Xander, follow me. It's going to be all good. I'm going to lead us to the promised land in this fight against Live Golf, in this fight for a more perfect system, in this fight for more money in the best players' pockets. I'm going to be the leader here. And it did not go over well with people like Xander, so players of a high level, and also players of a middling level who are like, what the hell gives? Where's that $3 million going now? What, what gives, Rory? We've all kind of pledged our uh, fealty, our allegiance to you, you're not really leading by example here. So it's a loss in optics. I think we'll forget about it very soon, but it's still really weird. And uh, it was unexpected if there were no like unforeseen circumstances. Yeah, I think Xander spoke to it well. He was sort of like, all right, well, wait a minute. Are, are, are we not doing this? Are, are we not doing this thing? And... You know, I mean, I think if Rory does get punished, if the three million, it seems like we're reasonably 
confident that he will not be getting that three million. I know there there's some discretion there. Like obviously Tiger is not playing all these events, but I don't expect him to be docked, etc. etc. But yeah, if Rory doesn't get the three million, then maybe it's all good. But it's weird. It's a weird absence. I think that's my biggest takeaway. And if he just is saying, screw it, I'm not in the right frame of mind right now to go to a tournament, he knows it's a bad look, right? He knows that these conversations are happening from from people kind of far less sympathetic to his cause and his well-being than we are. So the fact that he knows the way it's going to be received and perceived and skipped it anyway... I don't. It just leads me to believe he's not in a great frame of mind. I don't know. It it, it doesn't. It's strange. That's all. <laughs> yeah, Xander said rules are rules, which um, I interpreted as you get what you get, dog. Like this, like this is kind of what you wanted, and you got to play by the same rules as us. And it's why you don't. It's why you don't skip the first homework assignment, Sean. You don't. When you get one skip for the semester, you got to do the first homework assignment because later, at some point, you're going to be hungover on a Tuesday, things get out of control, and all of a sudden, you're going to say, well, I wish I had that skip. I didn't just blow it early on. Hungover on a Tuesday really sounds like personal experience. I think that's multiple times you've made that reference on this podcast. Monday fun day, Sean. It was... Sage basement was the spot. Um, all right. Well, the only other thing I wanted to say about this tournament <clears throat> was that this was a leaderboard that in many ways tells you why elevated events exist. That there is a difference over the course of 72 holes at a testing golf course between Matt Fitzpatrick and Jimmy Walker. I'm going to end up, I think, creating a new rule for me here that when we move into 2024 and we have this full slate of top 50 FedEx Cup finishers, those are our guys who will be playing in every designated event. Those are now called designated hitters. We're going to borrow that term from baseball. These are our designated hitters. And Fitz is a designated hitter. Spieth designated hitter you keep going down the leaderboard Cantley, Xander, Scythe all designated hitters next year the way Brian Harmon's been playing designated hitter Hayden Buckley he's been playing really well this year he would not have been a designated hitter this year but he's playing so well he's definitely going to probably be a designated hitter next year Jimmy Walker great story leading by three through 36 holes he's not a designated hitter just not and so that is always kind of being proven out at these big events that we put 20 million dollar purses up for it happens at riviera and the phoenix open like the cream rises to the top i don't think this is uh circumstantial or coincidental at this point like it continues to happen scotty scheffler designated hitter he is putting maybe worse than he has ever putted as a pga tour member and he's still so damn good. That's weirdly bad right yeah, now. Yeah, it's still so damn good, though, that he keeps pushing himself up the leaderboard. John Rahm is exhausted from the Masters. Shoots 72 on Thursday. 
But if you give designated hitters four rounds, the cream is going to rise to the top. Lo and behold, John Rahm beats Jimmy Walker. Aaron Rye shoots 63 in the first round. Really like that guy. He seems he seems like a really nice dude. Fades on the weekend. He is not a designated hitter. Have I made my point clear? You have. Uh yeah, I've been doing these I've been doing these uh designated event standings for that purpose to kind of just see all right, who's playing well in these things. Formula 1 style. And I guess one quick question for you. This is a bit of a sidebar. Would you rather finish T25 the way Jimmy Walker did? 65-65 has you in the lead, and then you just sort of slowly fade on the weekend? Or like Justin Thomas did, where he was, you know, had a solid first couple days, but really was never in the tournament, and then shot 66 on Sunday to finish also T25. Like, so we can't use the context of who these people are, just how they performed. You can use the context. Because, <laughs> like, JT's upset with his golf game right now. Yeah. He, that is his floor. He's he's pretty much, you know, except for missing the cut at the Masters, um, his floor is kind of a lot of T25s. Ignoring JT, would Jimmy Walker rather have had that week? Yeah. Is there something to being in contention? Is there something to being in the lead? Like, is it? Well, so so Jimmy Walker, the the man we knew five six years ago was legitimately a world beater. Like he's got five PGA Tour wins, I believe. He was on the Ryder Cup team. Um, he was a very very good PGA Tour player, and he knew what contention looked like. He knew what it was like to win at the highest level, and. Then he lost it, and he got sick. He dealt with Lyme's disease and lost, essentially, basically, you know, swan song part of his career. He earned his way into this PGA Tour season because nine live golfers were removed from the top 50 earnings list, moving him from 59th up to 50, the last spot you can actually use that, that one-year exemption. And that's why he was in this tournament. And so, like, yeah, Jimmy Walker getting a chance to finish T25 is going to be a win regardless. The fact that he got to add some contention to it, feel some weird things on Saturday, um, playing in the final group, you know. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge net plus for him. Uh, yeah, Sean, the only thing I would add to your thoughts are just sort of the words of our co-mentor, Michael Bamberger, who... I promise this is not a shot at live, but Bamberger would just say, look, three rounds would clearly be too few to identify the best golfer in the field. Five rounds would just seem sort of comically long. Four rounds ends up being just about right. And uh, I think we saw the best golfers this week on this course rise to the top. There were at one point like 20 guys within four shots of the lead. It was an exciting Sunday. Yeah, it was a good week on a different style of golf course for a whole bunch of money. What's next? You're not playing in the Zurich, I heard. No, I'm working on my game. Yeah, we've got some team golf this week. We've got uh, Liv's Australian event, which I think will be received with a, a rip-roaring reaction for, what is it, Ripper? Ripper GC? Cam Smith's team. 
I think Adelaide will probably be popping. I think we're gonna we're gonna get an interesting test of this tape delay situation. And then uh yeah, we're in a little bit of a lull now on the PJ tour. Between now and the PGA Championship, yes, Wells Fargo should be big time. That should be fun. Uh, but, yeah, we've got between the Zurich and the the Mexico Open, it's going to be a little bit of a quieter week after, I mean, what has been a big time yeah. stretch. I think that's good enough for this podcast, right? It's 1 a.m. here in South Carolina. Time for me to go to bed. Yes, which is also where I started my day. So yes, yeah, uh, hopefully, we're, hopefully we don't sound like we're dragging. We're delighted to be here. Oh yeah, one addendum. I, I sent this out just on Twitter, and I was just writing about it a little bit in the Monday finish. But the Airbnb that we stayed at was uh, just outside of Charleston, and on a golf course, and we were on a par four, two hundred yards off the tee. We didn't know this beforehand, but. <laughs> the number of golf balls that dudes are slicing in that 200 yard range into the houses right of the fairway. I had, I kind of knew it conceptually, but this was some real world experience of like, all right, if we're out by the pool every 10 minutes, there's a good chance that at least one dude is going to plop one like in the, in the edge of our property. And you could tell there was one time that one guy hit, hit one and then pretty clearly like immediately reteed and then hit another one almost in the same spot. The first one hit the roof. The second one hit the trees. I mean, we were, it was like duck and cover. So anyway, these, we always read about these like stories of, Oh, you know, families suing golf courses for not building a net or whatever. It is a game changing experience uh, having that, that golf hole right there. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you ever get to a point in your life where you are like me and the big right slice miss uh, is your big miss, then you'll understand how fearful it can be to be on the other end of it too. That's right. That's right. It's it's two-sided. Takes two to tango. Scared golfer and a scared homeowner. So we'll just leave the people with that. Thanks to the Zonies. Shout out to all you people. We love you. We'll see you soon.